Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. Potential is everywhere in the Choctaw people. It's in our schools and students. It's in our small businesses and entrepreneurs. Potential is in our lifestyle and health. It's in our culture and heritage. Passion and commitment is in our blood. Ingenuity and economy are a tradition. And the Chutla Foundation was founded for this potential. To cultivate minds and hearts, to stimulate ideas and passions, to extend lives and improve health through education, and to preserve and promote the power of our past. The Chatha Foundation, meeting the potential of the Choctaw people. Welcome to part one of Native Chalk Talk's Jim Gray, former chief of the Osage Nation on his family and the reign of terror. You've most likely heard of the book Killers of the Flower Moon by author David Gran. We now eagerly await the movie that should come out later this year in 2022, directed by Martin Scorsese, filmed in Oklahoma and starring Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio. In season one, I had the privilege of recording an episode called Murder in Osage County with guest Mike Mushletubby, who enjoyed his role as an extra in various parts of the movie. And he described some goosebump moments that he experienced on the set. One such incident, including Leonardo DiCaprio, check it out to hear more. And this season, I talk with a couple of others who joined in the movie as well. Such a reunion of American Indians of all tribes in one place. They're playing a part that was more than just a role. Many of them saw their time on set as a tribute to the Osage who had suffered loss and death, as well as a sort of homage to all natives everywhere. And today we wish to continue that honor bestowed upon those who came before us by continuing to tell their stories. It was an age rightfully deemed the reign of terror, and the evil that spewed from the events that unfolded in 1920s Oklahoma was felt for generations to come. It was the northeast part of the state, Osage County. What once was called Indian Territory, a land area formerly dedicated to the American Indians who had been pushed out of their lands and removed to an unknown land, had only in 1907 become the official state of Oklahoma. This was no longer a place for just natives, and outsiders had infiltrated the lands in a fit of unorganized chaos, murder, and theft. Oil had been discovered, and now everyone wanted a piece of the once-rejected land to call their own. A discovery of the liquid gold meant one could become a millionaire overnight. Such success was the case with the Osage Nation when years prior to statehood, they were provided a reservation chocked full of the stuff. Greedy settlers who had been released to enter the newly formed state saw an opportunity to creatively insert themselves into the oil boom equation. 
What was to come spurred a violent and terrifying mystery that plagued the Osage. Today, we'll hear more about this real-life heartbreaking story from my guest, a former chief and a descendant of one of the well-known family members of this story. So listeners, I'm proud to present to you Jim Roan Gray. Perhaps his name has a spoiler in it uh, for those of y'all who have read the book. He's a man who has done so much for the Osage community and for that of nations and tribes everywhere. A bit about Jim, and then I promise you'll get to meet him. This Osage force of nature graduated from Pawhuska High School, Go Huskies, and went on to complete a BS in marketing from Northeastern State University in Oklahoma. He was a journalist and publisher of the Native American Times, former principal chief of the Osage Nation. He worked for the Cherokee, Sac and Fox Nations, and was the director of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma. And recently, Mr. Gray was interviewed on CNN's This Is Life with Lisa Ling. There is, believe it or not, even more to Jim's accomplishments, but it would take us an hour or so. Mr. Jim, Holly Toe, and welcome. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Oh, it's an honor. So I'm loving it here in Skyatook, and uh, many thanks for the folks who have loaned us a, uh, a room today. It's your attorney here in mm-hmm. Skyatook. Nice people. In fact, there's so much beautiful Native art throughout this building. Oh, yeah. I hope they don't mind if I take a couple of pictures, because... I don't Beautiful. think they might. I don't, okay. But it's always good to ask. <laughs> True. <laughs> Lady, why are you taking yeah. pictures in here? Uh, now, you're even though you're from Pawhuska, which mm-hmm. is the headquarters of the Osage Nation, you live in Skytook now, sure. which I know Skytook is on the border of Osage lands. Um, so are we on the Osage reservation right now? Or we do are. I need to cross the street? To- <laughs> no, we're on. We're in Osage country. <laughs> I'll be sure to post photos on my Native Chalk Talk Facebook page from my visits to Hominy and Pawhuska and Fairfax and a course from today in Skytook with my friend Jim, all parts of the Osage Nation areas. I love this part of the state. Now, you and I have something in common in our career. So tell us about your current role helping the tribal communities. Uh, I've been doing some work for AT&T, which is a uh, uh, initiative they're doing through the Federal Communications Commission. And it's a program they call FirstNet. Okay. And uh, what they do is that they try to assist tribes who have broadband kind of you know there, there's limitations on how much uh, uh telecommunications infrastructure are and, and most so they indian need more like bandwidth or right, okay most indian reservations struggle with a very mm. limited amount and yeah so they come in and they work with the tribes and they help them at the very least just establish um, ems kind of services mm-hmm. you know 911 and improve the the coverage for law enforcement and emergency response yeah uh, and so this helps at least provide a base of level, and many tribes have really taken up this this opportunity. And That's wonderful. I've been kind of a liaison between the company and the tribes. And uh, on that same topic, I'm doing some work with a software company out of Dallas called Corbett. Okay. And it's spelled with a K. And uh, they've developed a technology that would go hand in hand. It's a it's an app that goes on your phone. Okay. But it's managed by the tribe. Not by Facebook, not by Twitter, yeah. not by, you know. And the tribe controls it. The tribe communicates directly to their tribal members this way mm-hmm. or their tribal employees. So they can, like, push out notifications exactly. like COVID is at an all-time high, Absolutely. wear your mask. Yeah. That's cool. And it, it is resonating very well with people. And nice. You know, and uh, it takes time to kind of walk them up to that point where people are starting to realize there's mm-hmm. some real problems with the data that Facebook collects from oh, its users. Yeah. And it's making people uncomfortable. You know? Yeah. And uh, 
but they still need to communicate. And there's yeah. some toxic elements of Facebook that, sure. <laughs> that unfortunately can pollute the message that the tribes are trying to send out to their tribal members. So this yes. becomes a really viable option for them to be able to do that, especially in times of a pandemic when you may have remote workers, you may have people coming in, or the tribe may have to close down. Mm-hmm. You know, And then, of course, weather events that constantly happen around here, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> ice storm or tornadoes and things you know of that all the nature. things yeah <laughs> crazy so big spiders <laughs> you can send those messages out immediately saying we're going to close at noon but mm-hmm. I really found, you know, I come from software and telecom, so I found mm-hmm. that very interesting that yeah. you are kind of in that world too, or you're definitely in that world. Super interesting stuff you're doing with AT&T. By the way, this is not sponsored by AT&T, but yeah. hey, shout out to AT&T <laughs> though, FirstNet. That's really yes, cool. Um, and then the app that you're working on, um, mm-hmm. if there are any Osage that do not have the app currently, and if they do have their CDIB number, what's a great way for them to find the app? Uh Corbett.com, K-O-R-B-Y-T. Okay. Dot com. Okay. Now I'd like our listeners to hear about your family life and this great town of Skytook. But first, let's talk about your time as a principal chief of the Osage Nation Mm -hmm. and then about your connection to the story of the Killers of the Flower Moon. And what's really interesting, a little tidbit for our listeners, is you were known as the youngest chief in the history of the Osage, correct? Mm. Well, the modern history, I I can't go back beyond... (laughs) Sure, we have no yeah, idea. Yeah, right. right. But uh, recognized generally that, uh, you know, in the last hundred years, that's probably true. So ah. it's a it's very daunting title, you know, because yeah. uh, not only am I the youngest chief to be elected, mm-hmm. but I'm also the youngest chief to be turned out. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> but you were there so, a long time, right? Got, 2002 I, I, through yeah, 2010? I the, yeah. I was... Uh, I was a former chief at 48. So, wow, that's great. I Did know. you find that, I mean, 48, I think, is a great age to demand yeah, some respect I and all that. But did you, yeah. did you feel that any of the elders or, or anyone, you know, looked at you as like, well, you're just a young pup? Well, of course <laughs> they did. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, that was the, I fit that description. I fit the image. I fit the, you know, but our tribe doesn't normally elect young leaders. Mm-hmm. Usually they elect people who are... Well, they know, obviously wanted you here. They elected well, you. Well, they had so. a choice. There were other people running. So, yeah. you know, they, they did put me in. And it wasn't by a large margin, but it was, you know, but it was enough to win. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, at one time, there was only about 4,000 tribal members mm-hmm. that were considered Osage by federal law. Mm-hmm. Now, the Osage is considered them Osage, but they didn't have any political rights. They couldn't vote. True. They couldn't run, mm-hmm. you know, because we tied them to the interest in the mineral state. Yes. So the only way you could be considered Osage in the eyes of the federal law was that you had to have an interest in the mineral state. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't and your parents were still alive, then you weren't considered a member of the tribe. So once we got that. That, one, that, that was a big thing that, that had to get a, all the way yeah, first. <laughs> once that got fixed, uh, we were able to maintain everyone's property interest who had a head right before. We'll still continue to have it. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to be connect. It's not going to be binding on all the other Osages. To, we were able to enroll them mm-hmm. as members of the tribe. So our numbers went from like 4,000 to 23,000 in the last 15 years. Wow. Isn't that amazing? There were that many that uh-huh. were not. That's... It was, so wrong. It was such a awkward way to run a government. Yeah, very you know, awkward. Your it's... parents have to die before you can be a member of the tribe. 
Wow. And and that's very different from any other tribal no government other that I know like of. Right? I was <laughs> yeah. going to say, if there are any other. Well, and also mm-hmm. um, the Osage Nation is the only one that in Oklahoma that truly had an actual reservation rather than trust land, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Uh, the mineral state was held in commune by the, for the United States for the benefit of the Osage Nation and its descendants and mm-hmm. people. And so... When you look at those maps that the United States Department of Interior put out for Oklahoma, there were no reservations there except Osage. Yeah. And it was that was because of that. Wow. Isn't that interesting? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've always had people ask, did you grow up on the reservation? And I'm like, well, um, it's not really, you know, there's not a lot of reservation. Actual, I mean, we're starting to get back our sovereignty now, which is great. Well, thanks but, to the Supreme Court. They yeah. said you always had one. Right. You know? <laughs> Thank you for telling us what we knew, but y'all wouldn't recognize yeah, yeah, for some right. weird reason. And of course... The thing was, is that what I ran on was government reform, fixing mm-hmm. the membership issue, and um, maybe making some structural changes in the priorities of the tribe. But mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it based on what I thought. I wanted to go out into the communities, and I held literally hundreds of town hall meetings with Osages. Oh, I bet. Which We're, is the right way to do it, obviously. Well, if you want to know what the people want, Ask them. You ask and you listen. I mean, I don't know about that, but that's a crazy concept, I know it's crazy, but... (laughs) And turned out they had a lot to say. Wow. And they said, we want to fix this membership issue. I don't... Yeah. I don't think it's fair that my children should have to wait. Right. But I don't want to give up my head right. Yeah. Is there anything you can do to fix that? And I said, let me work on it. And turns out we, we went to Congressman Lucas and we came to him with our problem and offered a solution, and he drafted the legislation. Thank you, because, Congressman Lucas. Yeah, and um, he got it done in 2004, and the Senate picked it up, and they passed it. Mm-hmm. And it was um, it was signed by President Bush in December of 2004. That, that went basically fast. said, the head rights stay with who, who has them currently, right. and that process will still continue the same, but it's not going to be a definitive decision on who an Osage is. That is going to be left to the Osages. Nice. And whatever form of government they choose to make out of it, that also is going to be left to the Osages. I hope our listeners really get how impactful this actually was, <laughs> was to the massive. Osage. I mean, oh my god, It changed gosh. everything. It changed it, everything. Yeah. And for the good, it's like, no was that anything that anyone would have argued to have changed among the Osage? Were they like, no, we don't want to fix this well, head right I think thing. what it was, was that I think a lot of folks were afraid to change the law that had been. Understandably yeah. so. Like, what's going to happen? Right. You know, once you open that up, they can do whatever they want. You know, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of that fear of change. And I respect that. And mm-hmm. and but in the process, but look what a little change could do mm-hmm. if we just open that door just a little bit and allowed all these Osages to be part of the tribe, legally, politically, physically. And what does that mean? You know, because at that time we were opening up casinos and yeah. we were generating revenue that we could prioritize right. what these people, what what the Osage people wanted us to invest in. Yes, education. Healthcare mm-hmm. and um, preserving our language and our culture mm-hmm. and our systems of of institutions of government that provides transparency and accountability in our government. Yeah, those things were not part of the previous structure for the last hundred years. So by making that law, it changed the priorities of the tribe completely. Wow. That's I mean, amazing. Yeah, buy our land back. 
save our lane. I bet you had to beef up your attorney list oh. of attorneys, huh? <laughs> oh gosh. Once Any they Osage saw what we were doing. Yeah, I, your your former chief, um, Greg Pyle, mm-hmm. pulled me aside at one of these tribal leader meetings one time, and he was re- really just complimenting me. He was like, <laughs> "I don't know how you did it." I don't know how you did, but that's what I'm wondering. You, <laughs> what in the world? You brought the 21st century to the Osage Nation, yeah, in a modern way. And, and the timing was probably right too. It was. Right? People because, were ready. We were. Yeah. There was only just a handful of original Ateez still alive. Wow. And, and your first nation, your first language speakers were starting to. They were passing on. And yeah. So we were able to get a curriculum built before they passed on. Really, that too. Yeah. Wow. And we built a written syllabary, kind of like what. Sequoia did. We called it orthography. And we taught the children what these symbols sound like and how you can string them together and make a sentence. Oh my and gosh. How you can write. Can we talk about that too for a second? Sure. I didn't, I, yeah. I know I didn't plan to, but yeah. sorry to interrupt you, but the title of this episode has some of your Osage wording in it uh-huh. because the title is former chief Jim Gray discusses the reign of terror in the great Osage nation. But I put the the actual copied and pasted the, oh, the, the Osage nation okay. wording into there. And I wanted our listeners to see how to us, how strange it looks because it's, yeah. it's characters that I had not even seen before, which is beautiful. So if yeah. you look at the stop sign in um, the gray horse mm-hmm. area yeah. and all that, it has it in your language. How yeah. amazing is that? The street signs in Pahaska <laughs> have the street name and then the Osage version That's of it, great. Right? Yeah. Good. That's well, how many people do you think can speak it now? Well, at the time I left, we had about 400 people engaged in the language program. Okay. But we had also introduced it into the public schools. And oh, I don't know how great. many kids could enrolled in that as an elective. And could non natives yeah. you know, take it too? How neat is that? Oh, one of the coolest stories about Sky Two is uh, back, I guess, about 10 or 11 years ago, the high school quarterback took the class. Cool. I, I don't know if he was Osage or not, but he took the class. Great. And he was so caught up into it, he convinced his offensive line to take the class. Oh, my gosh. And so they were <laughs> learning Osage, and they got back to practice, and they started using Osage in the calls before they start the play. It's like the code talkers of football. It was good for two offside penalties every game. Are you serious? <laughs> that is you amazing. Not. And then it's... all the Osage are in the crowd. Yeah. Like, That's <laughs> so cool. I know. It, it was good for an offside penalty and at, at times when they it. probably needed it. And so, <laughs> it, it, you know, but it speaks to the, the way you can, you don't have to check out of the world we live in mm-hmm. and all that it is. Yeah. To in order to appreciate and embrace and coexist with the Osage world that you're also a part of. Right. And that I know it's a kind of a cliche, but they say you have to walk in two worlds, you know, yeah. and, and we do. And mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like a chore. It doesn't feel yeah. like you're being browbeat into it. You right. because you get something out of it and it, it does something to you. I mean I noticed it when the language program was just really taken off. And uh, I said, I, I see these kids and they're walking around like they got their confidence back or there's, there's mm-hmm. a swagger about them it's, wow. that wasn't there before. Right. And, you know, I think people in my generation, I'm 60 now. So I came from that period of time when if you wanted to make it, you had to check certain parts of who you were at the door. 
Wow. Because the IBM required you to have a blue suit and a tie and the khaki pants and right. you all had to wear the same haircut, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the era that I grew up in. But now it's so different. I mean, everyone celebrates diversity. They yeah, they right. want their customers, they want their workforce to look like their customers. Mm-hmm. And they have these groups within the organization that that make sure that that's not the case, mm-hmm. that we value you and all the things that you bring to the table. Because as indigenous people, we have a history. Mm-hmm. We have a story. We had obstacles and we overcame them as a community. And we didn't abandon them at the first sign of trouble. Yeah. Which comes back to the story of the reign of terror. Right, right. Because it was during that period of time, the United States government federal Indian policy was allotment, assimilation, and boarding schools mm-hmm. across the country. They were putting kids in boarding schools, sometimes close by in the community, but sometimes far away, like in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, where right. Jim Thorpe and others mm-hmm. went. And those places have graveyards. Of little kids that... Like mass graves in some yeah, cases, right? Oh, right. Geez. And it was a dark time because mm-hmm. the parents didn't have a chance to raise their children. And some the, of them didn't even know if their children had died. No. Right? Like they just never saw them again. They never got word. So and, sad. And so imagine the impact that would have on a tribal community and still not being a, considered an Osage citizen. I mean, a U.S. citizen. I mean, that didn't happen until, what, 1924? Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> oh, oh, we were born here, but we're still not U.S. Yeah, citizens. Um, I know. Yeah. We were considered wards of the government. And that put us in a really difficult spot, especially at a time when they broke up our land, mm-hmm. they broke up our tribal governments, and they separated us from our children as parents. I mean, is it really surprising that we suffer from all these social ills? What came first? Historical trauma. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the problems that people had unfortunately associated with Indian people, it was like drunkenness, homelessness, mm-hmm. you know, bad work ethic, whatever. you can, Whatever social element of the day was, you could apply it to the Indians. And it was just, to me, it was that was a symptom of a deeper problem. Mm-hmm. That those federal policies had created, yeah, because they weren't that way before, right? Those policies, and so you got to wonder what what caused what, yeah. and so there was a lot of that going on, and it took a long time for the United States government to recognize those policies were failures, mm-hmm. and they devastated tribal communities, none more than ours, mm-hmm. and so. We're struggling with that, just from the loss of land, like Angie Debo wrote in her book about the five tribes, mm-hmm. you know, ours was no different. And so we we all kind of went through it together. Okay, so for about 100 years or so, the Osage weren't part of the tribe, and by federal law, 75% of the population weren't considered members of the tribe, as you mentioned, and then upon their parents' death, they received their land. I just wanted to recap that for our listeners. Is there anything else you'd add to that? Well, it's not just the land, but it was their interest in the Osage mineral estate. Which so, is the head rights, yeah, right? right? Actually, that's a great time for us to talk about. To explain those to us more, the head rights. Okay. It's a lot more complicated than just a corporate entity that has shares. Mm-hmm. But that's a good analogy to describe the basic machinery behind it. Mm-hmm. What's different about that is that every Osage received one share of an interest, man, woman, and child. Mm -hmm. So 
1906, everybody who was considered Osage got one, which was fine. I mean, that, that's what you want it to be, right? Mm-hmm. But what they did in order to make to preserve the value of those 2,229 shares, they closed the rolls. <laughs> so right. they're not going to issue out any more shares because those that's that makes the entire trust. Right? So that's why you have to wait until your parents die before exactly. you get. Right. So what happens if there's one woman has two kids? They each get a half. They get a half. So it keeps typically. getting diluted. Right. Too, it's fractionated time. out. I guess right. that would happen with land anyway. But yeah. anyway, but, go ahead. But the principle of the matter was, is that in order for the tribes to recognize their own tribal members, their parents would have to pass on. And it created a morbid way to create the identity of what you belong to. But culturally speaking, like at our ceremonial dances, Native American church services, nobody made those distinctions. Okay. You know. Right. Of course. Yeah. You're you're Osage, you're Osage. Right. But what about, I know this, sometimes people can get greedy. Were, Were there ever any incidences where someone killed their parents to get their head rights or anything like that? None that I'm aware of. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'm just not familiar with anybody doing that to their own parents. Right. That would be another book. Now that, yeah, (laughs) but there are cases where, and this is part that was documented in David Grant's book. It was also documented in Charles Redcorn, who was also Osage author. Mm -hmm. He wrote a a treatment of this period of time called a pipe from February. And that story is fictional because he changed the names of the characters, but the story is true because he wrote them down from oral interviews with Osages who lost during that period of time. Okay. Their head ride or their land or both. But not everyone lost was because of the more dramatic effects that was in, documented in Killers of the Flower Moon where your home blew up or you were taken out of <laughs> the country and shot and things of that nature. Right. This was more like paperwork stuff. Okay. You know, they warded because they worried that Osages were getting too rich. The federal government assigned a guardian to every Osage. That was... I think so it was they were truly blood. assigned, like you didn't have yeah. a choice, you no. were assigned. If you were full blood Osage with a head right, mm-hmm. you were immediately assigned a guardian. And that guardian controlled every aspect of what was spent. Mm-hmm. So they would determine whether or not you needed to buy groceries, clothing, supplies for your homestead, hmm. you know, everything. Isn't was, that nuts? Like this was their land yeah. and it was allotted to them by the government. And it was like, here you go. Yeah. Here's your land. Right. Now we're going to give somebody that tells you what to do with mm-hmm. your. Because we don't think you're capable of handling this. So, and of course, you know, but we also need your kids too, because we want to reeducate them. Right. To make them non-Osage. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Right. Deny Take everything them. I yeah. had. Cut their hair, you know, march them in uniform, teach them how to cook and clean for other people. Not to mention, like, as maddening, you know, we always think of, man, they must have been mad. But they also, can you imagine how fearful they must have been? It must have been a terrifying time. Think of what the Jews went through with the Holocaust, you know, like people coming through and killing them, taking them away, doing bad things to the women, for instance. But it was happening here, too. And it wasn't really, in the whole scheme of things, it wasn't, yeah. It was just common knowledge that, you know. Oh, my God. So if you were a guardian and you were getting a, basically a commission off everything that they were doing, you controlled who they spent money with and who they entered their business with. Like if they wanted to lease their land out for grazing or whatever, mm-hmm. it wasn't unusual for someone to make a deal with the guardian. Mm. You give me this, I'll cut you in. And the lease agreements were just outrageous. 
you know. Oh, what a mess. And so people were just stealing. And it was all permissible under law at the time. And, you know, we're talking about millions in $1920. Because that's how much money was being generated. It was a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, to suggest that the Osages had a an ability to fight back, they didn't. They stripped them of their ability to govern themselves. They had a council and a chief and assistant chief, but their powers were limited to just approving oil leases. Right. They didn't have a court. They didn't have a police officer that worked, you know, for the tribe. The BI was supposed to play that role. And they didn't? No. Uh, they they were... Compl- were they also powerless? Or? They were just processing the guardianships. I mean, they, I mean, they were just... Handing the money over to them, and they were just, I mean, it was... That's so bizarre. It was really, really bad, you know. And and people, once they figured out there was a system of mm-hmm. thieving going on here, this whole place was covered with people trying to find a way to, you know, I mean, you had your bank robbers, you had your highwaymen, you had people who would, you know, wow. boot leggers. They were selling, this is during Prohibition, so, you know, they were selling alcohol, you know, to... Prostitution. What drug a chaotic addiction. disaster. Uh, doctors would get people hooked mm-hmm. on drugs. And I mean, it was just awful, awful. You know, I, I mean, when you say a reign of terror, that's exactly what it was. So to recap, the Osage had around 1.4 million acres allotted to them by the government. Oil is discovered and therefore the tribe would distribute royalties from the profit to each uh, Osage allottee. And this was called a head right. So what's interesting to me, so it was, it was truly a reservation, but it wasn't blocked off, for instance, like some like the Choctaw Nation for a while had a reservation mm-hmm. or, or somewhat a reservation. And there weren't supposed to be white people in that area. Um you know, things changed with the government later, mm-hmm. but but people could just come in and out of here as well, much as they wanted. It right? wasn't a closed reservation, if that's what you mean. Yes. Yeah, and, but because we needed the investment of the oil and gas industry and all that came with it mm-hmm. in order for them to extract the oil and process it and get it, you know, and get the money into the tribes, you know, estates. Right. We had to accept a certain amount of that coming in, and then we need stores to sell mm-hmm. supplies. So, okay, it was a necessary part of establishing the community. Yeah, from nothing really at, at that point. When Osages were there, it was one community in Pasca, one community in Fairfax, one in Hominy, and that was it. Mm. You know. Okay. So people would come, and they'd set up like SkyTube started as a trading post, uh-huh. and it just kind of grew from there of the traffic that was coming to Tulsa. Yeah. Which was a growing town, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when we look at those periods of time, they were boom towns, literally. Mm -hmm. There's one town. It's now a ghost town, but it was called Whizbang. Oh, yeah, Whizbang. Yeah. I haven't been there, but I've heard the name. It's nothing there now. Because there's nothing there. You dash through it. Yeah. (laughs) But, But it was one of those towns that just grew overnight to serve the pleasures of the men that were working in these man camps. Well, what are you talking about, Jim? Pleasures? Uh, what are well, you serving? I, <laughs> is this a family show? Yeah, I think your face just turned red. <laughs> I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know where we're going with this. Is this a family show? <laughs> no, yeah. don't worry. I'll let you off the hook. On I mean, that that, that's where they went. Yeah. Whiz bang. Yeah. 
<laughs> Aptly named, right? So sorry. <laughs> Jim, we yeah. got to get off that right. subject. Don't stay with us anymore. <laughs> Just trying to give you a sense of the lawlessness yes. that was going on at that time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> there was great lawlessness in yeah. Whizbang. Mm-hmm. So it was just, but it was a boom town, basically. Yeah. yeah. And they popped up everywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. It was designed to satisfy that. Yeah. Growth that was happening everywhere, right. you know. And churches moved in mm-hmm. on the other side of the equation, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> right. Catholic Church had a huge presence in the Osage Nation. So did the French church. Mm-hmm. So did Baptists, Protestants, and other denominations start moving in. Yeah. And so what you saw was the beginning of a community mm-hmm. that had this very, very uncomfortable foundation. Yeah. That's a good word for it. Because no matter what people say about Pasca now, being this jewel mm-hmm. of the West or this place where the lifestyle is celebrated, cowboy and the rough life and all that it, it's true it is here you know but there's also this mm-hmm. and one yeah. did not happen without the other mm-hmm. and in the 1920s the osage reservation brought in 27 million dollars a year with over 8,000 wells that's over 376 million dollars in today's dollars um that those 8,000 wells where are those wells are they are they, they're not in town, right? They're somewhere well, some out in the of fields. Are, if okay. you drive through Barnesdale, there's one right in Main Street. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> they, <laughs> but they were pretty much, they follow the, you know, the geography, the where the, the, the layers <clears throat> and the sediment that shows where the oil is. And, you know, it's a risk. So you drill a lot of dry wells. Yeah. Then you'll hit some good ones, you know. So uh, there was... Um, what they call the Burbank Field, which is in northwestern part of Osage Nation. Okay. It was so prolific. It represented 10% of the nation's oil supply. Wow. During that boom years of the teens and 20s. Yeah. I mean, everybody was competing and they were bidding for leases. Before they even drilled, they were bidding <clears throat> wow. for leases in the auction. Dang. And so all that money was going to the tribe. So, I mean, it was like... Uh, it was exciting in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an aspect of what Osages did with their money was pretty exciting. But yeah. It's lost in these stories. Right. Uh, not everyone got swindled. Many mm-hmm. did, but not all of them. Right. Uh, one lady married a man who had a real good talent for racehorses. Hmm. And he bought the black gold and she competed him and he, the black gold won the Kentucky Derby in 1923. Wow. <laughs> Another fellow, name was Hamilton, took his money, invested it <clears throat> in an NFL football club. Really? Yeah. And it was called the Hominy Indians. Oh, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. Okay. There's documentaries about it yeah. and books written and stuff. Oh, and, my God. Yeah. I'm just going to uh, write that down for myself. Go ahead. I'm sorry. There's also the ballerinas, Marie and Marjorie Talchi. Yes. They're, what's left of their home is still in Fairfax, but it's... I think they're going to try to salvage it and re- restore it, you know, mm-hmm. make a like a museum or something. Or yeah, and you can see there are at least Maria Tallchief's grave mm-hmm. out there. I think that's in Fairfax, right? I believe so. <clears throat> um, but there are examples of like John Joseph Matthews. 
Mm-hmm. He used the money to go get a Ivy League education, studied at Oxford, came back and wrote the definitive novel of the Osage. And he was a World War One pilot. Oh, cool. <laughs> what? The Osage are so talented. The colorful lives were, yes. were lived in those those days. <clears throat> and it wasn't all bad. Yeah. I mean, you saw the Lisa Ling documentary, so you mm-hmm. saw the, set, the, yes, the video of the Look how families love for airplanes mm-hmm. and cars and right? the, the lifestyle and <laughs> the toys. Yeah, and there is nothing wrong with that. They're, I think sometimes people they don't have to apologize to anybody no, for exactly. that. You know? and, they they earned it. But they did. They were part of the examples that people got resentful over, and it was greed. It was just plain old greed and envy, totally old agree. fashioned. You know, oh. seven deadlies. You know, and. Uh-huh. I would say that my my other piece to that is that at a time when it was federal policy to not practice your faith in mm-hmm. the traditional way of your tribe mm-hmm. or practice your ceremonies, social or otherwise, right. the Osages had the means and the money to sustain those cultural practices mm-hmm. through even the darkest policies of the federal government. Interesting. It saved our language. It saved mm-hmm. our Ilonshka ceremonies. The Native American church kept people mm-hmm. safe in the community. was intact. It wasn't the white federal bureaucrat from D.C. Right, right. It was our unwillingness to, to abandon our ways mm-hmm. at that time when things were at their worst. Yeah. That's how we got through it. That's interesting. That's not in the book. Oh. And chances are it may not be in the movie. I don't know. But that's the kind of thing that is in Charlie's book, The Pipe for February. That's why you really need to read both. That's right. Okay. Because I need to you go get, get that. that sense that when things were at their worst, the Osages cling tighter oh, to their that. culture because that's what got them through the removals. Mm-hmm. That's what got them through... The Civil They're no War. stranger That's to what that. They, yeah, we we yeah. had troubles before, right? And the first sign of trouble, we don't abandon our ways, right. you know. But we knew we had to adapt mm-hmm. to new ones. So that was the art of survival. Yeah, knowing what to put away, knowing what to keep, mm-hmm. because everyone had to make that decision. Yeah, individually, as a family, as a tribe. So true. And so all these years later, you see the effects of that. Mm -hmm. There's a good portion of Osages that still practice those ways, devoted to it, Mm -hmm. build their lives around it. Then there are Osages that see their relationship to the tribe as purely secular, you know, Mm -hmm. services, Mm -hmm. benefits, that sort of thing. Oh, right. Then there are those that are in between. What what blood quantum does, do the Osage require in order to be a member? Wow. Prove you're a descendant of one of those people who were on the original roll. On the rolls. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. That's how Choctaw tribe is. It's not like they're, you know, because we know some tribes cut it off at one quarter. That sort of thing. <clears throat> I mean, it was discussed in our reform. People mm-hmm. talked about it. And I so, think we kind of came to the decision. It's like, well, if we do that, we're kind of setting a deadline when we don't exist anymore, aren't we? Right. Exactly. At some point, if it gets <laughs> so diluted, yeah. there's no more and, anything. And I don't like people saying, well, you don't look Indian to me mm-hmm. because it's not up to you, for one, mm-hmm. to decide who is an Osage and who isn't. Right. It's up to Osages to decide that. Right. Good and point. you don't have to fit 
you don't have to look like bacon rind to be considered Osage. You <laughs> right. you can be who you are. Yeah. Without having to feel like you have to overcompensate. Your political rights are no more than or no less than a full blood Osage who can fluently speak their language. Mm-hmm. You know, politically, when you go in the ballot box to vote, your vote is equal. Exactly. You know. Right. And good point. That's like that. part of the effort to unite the tribe again. Yeah. Because we've been living this apartheid lifestyle for so long. We got used to it. Not used to it. <clears throat> we just accepted it that this is That's the way it's it, going to be. Well, and understandably so, because like how many people, I mean, how many tribes have gone back to try to fix things over the years and it just went nowhere? You can't. You, you can, you know, going forward is mm-hmm. really the only option you have. Yeah. And, but do you go forward with the wisdom of your history intact mm-hmm. as told by you? Mm-hmm. Or do you go forward with someone else telling your story? Thank you. Because honestly, you just made a commercial for my um, podcast, which is <laughs> let's tell our stories. It's just as important as saving your language. It's just as important as protecting your cultures. Yeah. Protecting your land base. That's just the natural next thing. Yeah. In my opinion. For sure. I'm yeah. so I'm so proud of the Osage. The more I'm learning about <laughs> the Osage Nation and um, you know, I've I've known the book, I've known Osage, but I've never delved into your history, your culture, the things that were going on with this very unusual story about how things were set up back then. Um, very you guys are a resilient nation. We're stubborn. We're all <laughs> kinds of stubborn. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be. So there was something that you had said in Indian Country today, September 13th, 2019. Um, you said because of this wealth, so we've been talking about the wealth that came in from the oil, many Osage families were able to preserve their family's culture and language while having the means to adapt to the dominant society. Mm-hmm. At a time when it was official government policy to kill the Indian to save the man, the Osage wealth tells a different story that runs counter to the extreme poverty dealt the rest of Indian Country. Uh, but not the dominant view of the non-Indian world, that despite our wealth, our lives were cheap. And when I read that, I was like, despite our wealth, our lives were cheap. So interesting. Like you couldn't buy a fur coat and look super rich and a white person would see or a non-native person would see you and go, there's a worthy person. I mean, like that's a person that's, you know, made, they still saw the Indian. Yeah. Even with the money, it was like, well, no, no. Nobody would ever allow them in a school like that or right. go into business like that or do something like that. Yeah, that's just decoration, yeah, but it's, really. It's not, deep down, we all know what he is. Yes. Yeah. Well, in Osage, were to trade business in local towns, knowing they had all this money, mm-hmm. there was no price tags on any of the items in the general stores. That would depend on who you were. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. If you were to buy land, if they knew it was an Osage Inquiring about buying land, right? Price would go up. So if I were going if I were going to walk into a store and mm-hmm. I needed to buy Groceries. a Dr Pepper, yeah, you know, there'd be a Dr Pepper on my right, a Dr Pepper on my left, and mm-hmm. let's say I'm Osage, yeah, and the Dr Pepper on my right is three dollars. How much is the one on my left? <laughs> I would say twenty bucks. Oh my gosh, it was that much more. It's it was wow. un, not unusual to see things ten times higher. 
Unbelievable. And they could afford it, though. Yeah. I mean, they but just, they, they still... would just take the Guardian would just take it out of their account and pay him. <laughs> um, there was some um, in the book, David Grand wrote, he was able to document that even when an Osage died, they would sell these elaborate funeral packages to the family. Mm. And what would be considered in today's dollars, a simple burial the Osage mm-hmm. would charge would be charged eighty thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's insane. So these stories only encouraged more graft. It brought in the darkest elements in society into our community. And oh, yeah. when that trial, when that arrest made of that one set of family, mm-hmm. um, it did send a message that you know you can go to jail for the rest of your life if you kill an Osage. That wasn't always the case, you know. Yeah. You know, I mean, it actually had to go to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Right. Ramsey case. Mm-hmm. And that was the guy who murdered my great-grandfather, mm. Henry Rome. Yeah. And they had a defense that they didn't think that the federal government had jurisdiction. Right. And because it was on the surface. It wasn't the subsurface. Mm-hmm. So on the surface land, it was the allotment land that they were, that that, that land was... Not fee land. It was federal allotment land. Okay. I know it's kind of complicated. It wasn't fee simple. It was it was yeah. allotment land. Right. It was allotted. Okay. And so... They didn't own it outright. Right. And that means the state didn't have jurisdiction to prosecute oh. that case. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So what they saw, what they thought was that, no, all allotment land is under the state's jurisdiction. Okay. And the U.S. Attorney's Office argued the other. And it went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Wow. And it came back, no, the federal government has primary jurisdiction to prosecute major crimes mm-hmm. in Indian country on these lands. I'm glad it ended there. Yeah. I mean, I mean set the, the conclusion was... How capital crimes are going to be prosecuted from that day forward. Thank goodness. And that was... That's the story I've told my son. Mm-hmm. Because I named him Henry Roan. You did. I did. Oh, my gosh. And so... This was 1993. This was before the book came out. This is before the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting here telling my son these stories about, you're named after somebody who made a major impact. Does on, he even know? He knows I mean, now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's I mean, wow. in his late 20s, but uh-huh. it did bother me at the time. Because the way the history has written about him was that he they got him drunk and they took him out in the country and they shot him in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. And the way the FBI investigated that well reinforced a the caricature. Drunk Indian. Exactly. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure my son knew the uh, there was more to this story than that. Yeah, you know? exactly. And because he was previously married to Molly, I think what William Hale did by ordering his killing was to eliminate any possible claim that someone may make mm-hmm. on Molly and her family's head rights. Right. Okay. That's what broke my heart about the story of yeah. Henry Roan was that he trusted Bill Hale. As many Osages did. He, you know, and, and I'm not thinking telling anything out of school here, but Robert De Niro plays him in this movie. Mm-hmm. Now, I happen to know because a friend of mine works in the language program at Osage, and he taught Robert De Niro how to speak Osage. Whoa. Yeah. That's so, so he, cool. Now, I don't know if those scenes are going to make it in the movie, so, you know, don't hold me to it. Oh, but I hope we will see him speaking Osage. But what that means is, is that he ingratiated himself in the tribe. 
Yeah. He showed he, up. He was trying to gain their trust. He was and... winning them over right and left. And he, he was just a con man, mm-hmm. just to get in good with people. The fact that Henry was caught up in it, too, doesn't surprise me. He wasn't the only one. Yeah. So I don't really give these uh, characterizations much weight because there's a lot more there. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he died at such an early age, the fact that there's so little stories told about him that my mom never got to hear because mm. he died two years before she was born. Oh, okay. So she never met him. Yeah. And then her mom died in a car accident three years later. So she was basically an orphan. Oh, that's so sad. By the time she was five. Your mama was. Yeah. But instead of being sent to a foster care program, never to return Mm -hmm. to Osage, an Osage woman adopted her. Oh. And raised her as her own daughter. That's uh, so nice. So she got the benefit of being raised Osage. Thank but goodness. she never got any of that intimate personal stories about oh, her great grandfather who right. was so famous, you know. Oh, it's so sad, isn't it? Like these stories that we know. Oh. Like I was trying to find more information on Henry Rowan himself and um we'll talk more about him, but still mm-hmm. I just like when we talk about the deceased on these episodes, I really do want to pay homage to people as much as we can, right. especially the main characters in our conversations, mm-hmm. um, because they were humans. I think it's really easy for us to picture the past in black and white and everything was so different. It's like they were yeah. humans. They just had everyday lives and maybe they were really good on their horses, or maybe right. they um ran for town council, you know, who knows? <laughs> well but, would you it's important that you, you try to treat these people as more than just two-dimensional characters mm. in this book or yeah, in the story. Yeah. And and I think the uh, the author, David Grand, did his best mm-hmm. to do that because the last chapter in his book is interviewing people like me and others who were descendants yeah. of those. Right. And uh, Charlie's book is a good companion to that mm. because it's told from entirely an Osage point of view. Yeah. And a lot of time in that book was spent on the Guardians, on how they were able to manipulate. Oh, yeah. And and the fact that what they were trying to do, not, this is what I like about Charlie's book, mm-hmm. is that he incorporates those federal policies of assimilation mm-hmm. and its impact on Osage families. Oh, which he, is important to yeah, consider. Yeah, and you, won't, you don't read that in the other book. You no, know? You, right. But this right. is something that an Osage would tell one another. Yeah. You know, and in one case, one of the big buildings in Pahuska was the Duncan Hotel, and it was financed by an Osage who had a guardian who mm. invested into the construction of this elaborate, fancy hotel for its time. Yeah. The individual went bankrupt. And never paid back no. the money. Oh. And the guy who went bankrupt, his brother bought it for a dollar at a fire sale. Really? And he got the money. He got the hotel. And the Osage huh. never got any of it. Right. It's like, oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> this is their money mm-hmm. that you're playing around with. That sort of That's thing That's just probably one common. example of like just, hundreds, exactly. right? It's just what they did. That's what's crazy it, to me. It's like, it's just what people were doing. And it was, they stole it fair and square because it was all permissible under the law at the time. True. And so we, when we get, we get mad, we get rightfully mad about it. Mm-hmm. And, but we can't live in the past. You sure. can't just 
carry that anger all the time. Yeah. But we owe it to those descendants to never forget it. Yeah. That's the important message out of this reign of terror experience in 2022 Mm -hmm. is that we don't let it define us as a people. And after what we've talked about, what's happened in the tribe in the last 10 to 15 years, Mm -hmm. you can tell we've, we've moved forward. Yes. We, but we're moving it together. Yeah. You know, we're back to being a tribe again. So cool. So, I mean, to put all of this in context, you Mm -hmm. talked earlier about the roles and uh, similar to, since some people know from previous podcasts I've talked about, similar to how our Choctaw ancestors and others of the five civilized tribes had to enroll in the Dawes roles so that we'd be documented, Mm -hmm. the Osage also had their own roles. And so according to the Osage Allotment Act, the Osage could enroll before January of 1906, as you mentioned, and then they'd be allotted land and resources. And then by the closing of the roles, there were 2,229 Osage on the list, 926 full blood and around 1,300 mixed bloods, as well as non-Indian adoptees. I hope I have all that right so far. Close. (laughs) Now, something I didn't realize until I was doing some research the other day was that the oil had already been discovered on the reservation by that time. So in 1894, actually. And in fact, there were 155 oil wells and 18 gas wells within their lands by 1904. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I thought it was discovered later. Like I thought the the oil was discovered later. The boom didn't happen till later. Oh, okay. There when was, all the other was, people started yeah. coming in. Right. Somebody heard about it. Mm-hmm. Somebody went out and told people. Yeah. Anyway. Word got out. <laughs> right? So anyway, the Osage received oil money between the years 1919 through 1929. And something you mentioned to me as you were trying to make change during your time as chief was that the nation offered corporate shares and you saw a need to shift away from this. Tell us more about that. Yeah. When you think about the way it was set up, it made sense that every Osage got a head right. Mm-hmm. But because they, they didn't issue out any more head rights after that period of time, and they closed the rolls, everyone got a fraction of one as each generation moved on. And then mm-hmm. there was that process of waiting to your parents, you know. So what we noticed during that period of time was that there were a growing number of Osages that were saying, is this the best we can do? Mm-hmm. Can we do better? Can we fix this? Not without changing federal law. I mean, they tried suing for it, and that didn't work. It got overturned in the Tenth Circuit. And mm. so efforts to try to change it through the court system failed. Mm-hmm. And so by the time 2002 rolled around, we knew that the only way to get this fixed was to get a law passed. And so would it take an act of Congress? Literally <laughs> to took an act of change? Congress. Literally. <laughs> um, House Bill 2912 turned into Public Law 108-431 the Osage Reaffirmation Act. In title, what that meant was that the United States government was reaffirming the Osage Nation's inherent right to determine their own members Mm -hmm. and form their own government. And so we wanted to make sure it was written that way so that people wouldn't understand that Congress didn't grant us the sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Congress has just recognized the sovereignty that already existed before Columbus. Right, right. That's a a huge difference of opinion. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. So now, as a tribal member in the Osage Nation, they're not defined as a shareholder. No. Oh, Great. It's uh, defined by lineal descent. If you can trace your lineage to somebody who was on that original role in 1906, mm-hmm. then you're eligible to enroll as a member. There you go. Wow. Yeah. This is, this is just so huge. And you had told me earlier it put some teeth behind your sovereignty. Absolutely. Yeah. And protecting the land, mm-hmm. the water and natural resources. 
And Osages are actually recognized citizens now. Right. Isn't that crazy that it took that long? But again, timing was right in what was going on in the country at the time and mm-hmm. what was going on with your nation. You coming in and going, all right, I'm a fresh new body here yeah. and I want to, you know, make some change. I've had and, more than one person tell me that you were elected so young, you didn't know you how difficult that was. Right. You <laughs> just, like, did just and, went out and fixed it. <laughs> well, there's some truth to that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think that if we got Congress to back us and the president signed it, then why should we stop? Mm-hmm. We got to go. We got to do this. You know, there were people saying, well, maybe we should wait four years before we do this. I said, our people have been waiting 100. They've waited long enough. Let's give it to them. Let's give them everything we can think of in terms of political rights, transparency, accountability. We have economic development coming in a big way. We can invest in institutions like a cultural preservation department, language department. And mm-hmm. all these things just sprung out, you know. We built new buildings up on our campus, awesome. administration buildings. We expanded our footprint in gaming, added hotels, and travel plazas, just basically what you guys did down yeah, there, you know. I mean, it works, right? It does. Wait, and where are uh, those casinos? We've got one in Tulsa. Okay. Sand Springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sky Tube. Okay. And, oh, there's one uh, here. Huh? Yeah, just on the other side of town. Okay, I might have to stop by oh, yeah. there on my way out. <laughs> to contribute to the education the, program. So, uh Hominy, Pahuska, okay. Bartisville, and Ponca City. Okay. So listeners, go check it out. Mm-hmm. Which one's your favorite? Well, I'm partial to Sky Took, of, of course. course you have to say, but let's say your second favorite. <laughs> yeah. They're all my favorite. I, I cut the ribbon on every one of yeah, them. That's great. Yeah, that's So I'm And I'm are there proud. hotels at any of them? Like you can uh, stay? Sky Took's got one. Ponca's got a hotel. Okay. Tulsa has one. They're rebuilding Bartisville's with a hotel. And okay. they're rebuilding Pahuska's with a hotel because of all nice. the tourism that's obviously going <laughs> By investing in gaming, mm-hmm. it's generated enough revenue for the tribe to invest in all these programs. If you can get yourself accepted to a state college anywhere in the country, the tribe's got enough money set aside, pretty much pay for about 80% of your that's college. That's wonderful. Yeah. And that's that's something worth investing in. They can it take is. that degree. And I'm not saying, I mean, also trades are just as good, too. Well, we invest in trades, too. It's awesome. Our program is set up in such a way where if you want to go to cosmetology school, mm-hmm. we can help pay for that. That's we, fantastic. Yeah, welding, whatever. And because of that, we've probably done more to change quality of life for a lot of our members because mm-hmm. they have educational opportunities that will broaden their work environment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was thinking about this. We started putting about $10 million a year into that scholarship program in 2006. So that's what, 15 years? Mm-hmm. That's $150 million. One day, I did this on Facebook, on my own Facebook page. Yeah. I said, at 10 years, I posted this. I said, how many Osages out there received any received educational funding? What are you doing in your career now? Yeah. That came as a result Good of question. that. I almost started crying. What they say? Veterinarian. I'm a doctor. Are you serious? I went to law school. Oh my gosh! I started my own business. I got a fleet of truck trucking Amazing. companies, and just like, holy crap! Oh, I, mean, I mean, it just goosebumps. It did. I got goosebumps. Oh and uh, I went back after after I had my kids and raised me. I went back to school. And now I'm doing this, you right. know. So, so they can do it even at yeah, a later age too. Yeah, there's no limit. That's great. Ages. And that comes from the casinos, right. or wow, that's good. And stuff. because they're tribal members, fully engaged in the political activities of the tribe, some of them are coming back. Yeah, 
and bringing what they can here to work for the tribe, environment, oil and gas, petroleum, mm -hmm. hospitality, law, you name it. I mean, there's Osages all over the place working for the tribe in a way that was never possible 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Because either they, there was no jobs here or they didn't qualify for them. Right. Because they didn't have the education. Look at this it. good snowball effect. That, it is, yeah. I mean, I know that you don't want to brag on yourself, but come no, on, give I yourself don't. a little I bit of a pat on the back. There's a lot that you did during that time. It was not alone. <laughs> I mean, it took the whole tribe sure. to push these initiatives. But they needed out. somebody just crazy enough yeah. to go, we're doing this thing. <laughs> Way to go, crazy Jim. I know. Nobody, <laughs> nobody told me to stop until right. 2010. <laughs> They're probably looking at you going, this is a great idea. Let's see what happens. I'm yeah. going to take pictures. Get, get the popcorn, you know. <laughs> well, and you know what's interesting, too, is I hope this will be a lesson for not just Osage young folks, but any Native young folks. Mm -hmm. You're not too young to make good, positive change. Do it the right way. You know, be diplomatic. And yeah. I'm sure you weren't diplomatic all the time. Sometimes you probably had to get pretty this is a lesson pretty gruff, learned. But you, know, you get better at it as you yeah. get, get used to the work. But you didn't let anything stop you. You saw a vision. You saw where it needed to go. You ran for office. You worked hard at that, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And then you presented an idea, but you listened first. And I think that's right. a big key factor too you asked questions and did they have to vote on all this or no we we deliberately kept the strategic planning piece out of the law okay because we knew we didn't want to bind future chiefs of future tribes to a direction that may not work because right. of environmental issues outside of our control okay so it was more like a guide yeah you know buy land where you where you can when you can but try to set aside money every year to buy their land back. Right. Well, Ted Turner had a big, huge ranch in the middle of the Osage County. Oh, really? And he was raising bison on it. And he had a, I don't know if you remember this, about 15 years ago, mm -hmm. he had a bunch of bison restaurants. Oh, right. Ted's yeah. Montana yeah, Girl. There yeah. You go. yeah. Okay. Well, as time got on, he got older and, um, he started stepping away from those kind of things, and his family took over, and they started liquidating these things, and mm -hmm. they put it up for sale. We're talking 46,000 acres right in the middle of the Osage Nation. Oh, my gosh. And we put a bid in, and we Again, got timing. it. timing. Wow. And it was because we had these seven casinos, and we had the leverage to be able to finance the acquisition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what we've done came as a result of that, that, that very critical decade. And now, when it comes to tribal elections, the Osage can vote, right? Yeah. And they, I didn't realize they weren't able to. So there was no voting before, or it's just only certain people could only vote? Only the head right owners could vote. Only the head right yeah. owners. Wow. Mm -hmm. All of this was just built around the head rights. It was. So. <laughs> we were defined as an oil and gas tribe because that yeah. was all we were really allowed to focus on Yeah. by federal law. If anything happened outside of that, it was done without the the role of the tribal government at the time. Yeah. You know, people were learning language in their living rooms. Right. And right. our ceremonial dances were held outside the tribe. So I, I've never heard of <laughs> anything so backwards. It it wasn't that. I don't think people who passed that law in 1906 knew it was going to be this way 100 years right, later. Right, right. But that's exactly what happened. Hmm. And I attribute the, the words you use, generational trauma mm -hmm. of the reign of terror, Mm -hmm. as an impact on the psychology of the later generations. Oh, yeah. Who may have been a little reluctant to speak like I am now. 
But back then, it was real. And oh, yeah, for sure. I have a Choctaw story to share with you. Oh, I would love to hear it. Before I was chief, I was a journalist. We did a story on Willow Rock Museum. And it's a throwback to a 1960s, 70s nostalgia of Indian culture and Indian life. And mm-hmm. it was mixed with the Boy Scouts and things of that nature. Yeah. And they were popular at the time, you know? Yeah. The person who built Will Rock was the founder of Phillips Petroleum Company. He bought this land in the Osage Nation, and he set aside as a nature preserve. He was a bit of, mm-hmm. of a naturalist, you know, and he would bring back baby deer from Africa or, you right, know, right. bears and lions and all kinds of animals were on this area that was set aside for, mm-hmm. it was it was a private thing for him at the time, but as, after he passed away, the foundation took it over and they turned it into a museum. Mm-hmm. And all of his collections were in this this huge mansion that used to be where he would hang out, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so all the art, all the collections are from the 19 teens, 20s, and 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. And he was a bit of a personal archaeologist, you know, yeah. he would do his own things and do his own digs and there's he, some beautiful pictures out, yeah. I mean, uh, paintings that he has out there. Yeah, and a lot of his collections are in that museum, so you can walk through as a visitor and you can see it all. Mm-hmm. There's some things Huge from Osage. Huge gun collection. Oh, God, yeah. And it's just all Western, you know, yeah. lifestyle stuff. Cowboys and Indians. Mm-hmm. That's big part of what he sells is the Cowboys mm-hmm. Indians thing. Mm-hmm. And um, you grow up here, you... Your school would take you on a field trip and you go through there, you know. And really? So when you were growing up, you mm-hmm. <laughs> did they have buffalo back I'm, then too? Yeah. yeah did you yeah. drive through and you can see the buffalo? Mm-hmm. And, go ahead. I'm sorry. We got buffalo burgers at lunch. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know yeah. they had those. Yeah. That's fun. But it, the trash eating buffalo was a nice touch. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, they got a, you know, a buffalo in this little area. And when you get your sandwich and you eat it, you got to wrap her. Oh. You put it under the buffalo's mouth, and his air sucks it up. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. amazing. We're talking 1960s and 70s, right? And so I mean, she just wanted trash. So you know, throw it, it away. Just like, like, put it in his mouth. He's got to suck it And then, it of course, he, would, he had a voice, and he had a microphone, and he'd talk, you know, like that. And he would tell the story of the bison and the buffalo in North the America. The bison were the... Yeah. <laughs> So oh. it's all kind of kitschy, you know what I yeah. mean? And I, what I was, what I'm getting at is that this is where it becomes a Choctaw story. Okay. We do this story about how the rest of the world has moved on from these kind of things, but these things are like a captive eddy, and they're just stuck. They're not changing. They're not evolving. Right. And we were trying to raise that issue. Mm. That it would be nice if museums like. Like Will Rock would update their mm. message, you know, and good point because we're not that anymore. We right. never were that. Hmm. That's what you wanted us to be. Yes, but we never were. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he brought out of one of his digs in Spiral or around that area, southeastern Oklahoma, it wasn't Spiral, it was somewhere else, mm-hmm. but it was southeast Oklahoma. And it was a skeleton of an Indian man. Okay. We assume it's Choctaw, just simply because... Because of the area. The area. 
Well, that article appeared on the front page of our paper. Hmm. It was a big, long piece, you know, lots of photos of things that we took. And it was it was a pretty harsh criticism of Will Rock. Oh. Well, someone from the Choctaw Nation saw it, contacted Will Rock, sent a delegation up here, and took the bones out of that museum. Dang. And took it back home and buried it. Properly. Wow. Good. Yeah. Good. I mean... <laughs> and by the way, like, or maybe the laws were different then, but the, the law not that they to... used to do that was Native American Grace Protection and Repatriation right. Act, NAGPRA. Wait, didn't you have something to do with that? Not me. I just it was oh, just okay. a law that I that I know was applied, but okay. it had only been on the books for a few years before the Choctaws evoked it. Yeah, to come up here. Wow. I know. Wow. I, Ooh, go go chop chop. I get know. Your, I go called get your the tribe. Back. I was like, "Can can we do a follow up story on this?" And they said, yeah. "No," because why? We don't want anybody digging them up. Oh, okay. okay. We don't want to repeat of other people coming. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, Interesting. There's a mentality that tribes had to develop over time mm-hmm. when that law was passed, and it was really appropriate. That the Choctaws did what they did. Mm-hmm. But at the time, they didn't have a process for it, so they had to create one. Mm. And and so did every other tribe when that law was passed. Because at the, up until that point, they could do whatever they want. That's a good point. I mean, the wife of Jim Thorpe sold his bones <gasps> to, to, to a Pennsylvania city? or something? Yeah. Like, what in right. the world? Just She just wanted the money. Because she could. Because she could. And, you know. Jim Thorpe belongs here. That's right. He belongs in Yale, Oklahoma. That's where, where he was born. It's where he was raised. This right. is his home. He should not be up there. It's the so tourist bizarre. tourist attraction. And they will not give it up. No. Even the federal courts ruled against us. Mm. They said the NAGPRA law didn't apply to him. Well, where do you draw this line? Right. You know, at what point does it become fungible property that you can buy and sell and trade mm-hmm. bones of people that lived? Right. What in the world are we not? doing? And can we dig up Napoleon? Okay. Can we dig? Like, yeah. can we dig well, up? At give this me a point? shovel. Let's start Lincoln? making some money. Like, <laughs> George Washington. God, that's morbid. Um, I know, but still, but, it's like think about how weird that is. And for some reason, it's okay if they're native. Yeah, like, there you go. You it's nailed it. Seen as this, this lower. What do you call it? The soft bigotry of low expectations applied here. Right. You know. Good point. Good point. You know, we we it's like don't, it's an exhibit. Right. Like, oh, that's an old pot. There's an old Indian skeleton. This is part of what I talk about when I give speeches about this era, is that this is also the same period of time that they introduced the notion of an Indian mascot. Okay. At the same time, they were taking away our land. At the same time, they destroyed our governments. They took our children to be reeducated. It was all, I don't think it was an accident. I don't have any connection that draws these things, but they all happened at the same That's time. Interesting. Like trying to continue to demean the people that mm-hmm. they're trying to get people to see as things and not worthy yeah. of whatever. Well, what says it better than that Indian at the sunset? Mm. Right. You're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. people on the East Coast, well, I've heard stories from those Indians that live out there, you know, and they mm-hmm. come back and they say, you know, when I tell them I'm Native American, they say, I thought you all were dead. God, you know? I, that's so weird to me. I know. It's like, clearly, you don't go to Oklahoma much. But right. I, and that's the thing nobody understands or knows yeah. about Oklahoma. It's that's, so funny, which is probably good. Yeah. Stay away. But uh, the thing is, is that that attitude didn't come by 
an accident. Hmm. I never thought about that. Madison Avenue creates these images to sell products that aren't based in reality of who we are. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a long time for people to bring this to their attention. Movies did the same thing. Oh, God, yes. John Wayne shoots one rifle, eight Indians fall <laughs> off their horses, you know. <laughs> I mean, right. We and yet the Indians could have outsmarted them. Yeah, any day of the week. It only took you four hundred years. You know. Yeah. It's not like we didn't just lay there and just let you all to run over us. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, the biological weapons of smallpox alone probably did more than any Indian war. Mm-hmm. I mean, whole communities were wiped out before the white man even got there, and we're make, we're we're scoring some wins. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but the problem that those things created has created a generational image of us that is less than somebody else. Hmm. Because if it's less than somebody else, you can rape their women and not suffer consequences. Yeah, and you can less, justify. You can justify all kinds mm-hmm. of things, you know. Because what's the problem we having in Indian country right now with violence against women? Hmm. The tribes can't prosecute a white man for beating a woman up, even if it's on the reservation. And that's why McGirt is so scary for people is because this is going to elevate the tribe's role mm-hmm. to be able to meet those issues when they happen. Bravo. And, you know, we're we're getting better. We're getting ready. You yeah. know, you can see the tribes ramping up their judicial branches, their court systems and law enforcement, mm-hmm. prosecuting attorneys. Congressmen or tribal councils are passing laws that create statutes yeah. that mirror that of the state. So there's no, there's a safety net mm-hmm. in the Indian community now that didn't exist before. But look at the backlash we're facing mm-hmm. for fighting that from the governor, from the media, from people who are just trying to drive a wedge. It's absolutely bizarre. All they're, all they're trying to do is hold up what was already in place. Right. Fascinating. But tribes are responding to this in a way that I think is starting to get through to people that we're holding up our end of the deal. We're not allowing killers to go free. No. And I can't believe people have been saying that. That's not what's happening. You just keep repeating it over and over again. doesn't make it true. Mm -hmm. You know, the federal government is picking up some of these cases. The tribes are picking up some of these cases. The state's getting some of these cases. And so it's not happening in the way that they're describing. No. These guys are just in the wrong jail. That's all there is to it. Right. You know? And, uh, but what's really exciting for me is knowing that the tribes are raising their game to meet the moment. Mm-hmm. But what's important is places like the Tulsa world, for example, they're writing stories right now saying none of what people are saying about the sky is falling is happening. Right. The stats just don't back it up. And we're a year and a half into this decision mm-hmm. and the tribes have made remarkable progress and you know, and then we see the the other side just constantly fighting it. It's like, can't you just be happy that one win, <laughs> right. one win out of all the losses has happened? Yeah, and it's a and, <laughs> and it's, it's a legal that, win. <laughs> now you got a whole different level of a participation that didn't exist before. Yeah, and so now it's a safer community than it was before. I say, bring back the light horsemen. Yeah, well, they are. <laughs> They're back. That's true. <laughs> 
Well, and for our listeners, you know, now we have this, um, some of our tribes are now getting their sovereignty back, which they technically already had, but now it's being more recognized. And that's when it comes to jurisdiction, like legal jurisdiction, Mm -hmm. right? And then, so there's a lot of things that have to be weighed and figured out who does what you still call 911 and there's an issue yes you do (laughs) they'll figure the rest out later but it's just to know that things are happening in a good way for native americans has been shocking to everybody both non-natives and natives so it's pretty exciting as diplomatically as we can share with our listeners there's been some pushback from the governor And I assume that you're probably more of an expert on what's going on with that than I am. So what has happened there? With the governor? uh, Of Oklahoma, yeah. He has a new attorney general that is engaged in filing litigation in federal court trying to get the McGirt decision reversed by the Supreme Court. Wow. Um, Up until now, the Supreme Court hasn't been persuaded yet <laughs> yeah to completely reverse it there may be some decisions limiting it in terms of how far back somebody can go and bring a McGirt defense mm-hmm. I think that's I'm not a lawyer but this is kind of what I understand from yeah. what I've read about a, a week ago Monday the Supreme Court chose not to take up a case that was decided in the Oklahoma Criminal Court of Appeals where they had determined that if an inmate in the state penitentiary had exhausted all of his legal options at the state level for a capital crime, he can't raise the McGirt defense to have his case reheard. Okay. And they decided not to take that case up, which by not doing it, it affirms the Oklahoma mm-hmm. Court of Appeals question. Okay. So. And if there is one area of the McGirt decision that does cause both sides trouble mm-hmm. is the cases where, like, say, rape or something like that, there's a, um, they call it statute limitations. Mm-hmm. And if it suddenly becomes a federal case because of McGirt, the statute of limitations at the federal level may have already run. Okay. Hmm. And so that scenario was what people were using to create the skies falling consequences of McGirt. But by that decision, they've taken it off the table mm-hmm. because yeah. not even the tribes want to see somebody get off like that. Right. You know, so which I think everyone's kind of like, well, on principle, I'm against it because the McGirt decision says the reservations never were dis- dis- disestablished. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's the case, then those cases should never have been heard in state court. That's true. It's almost like a new trial. for But, oh. as, a, <laughs> but as a practical matter, it takes one of the worst elements of the McGirt decision off the table. Mm-hmm. And so there's some good in that, too. Yeah. So, Interesting. Uh, so the governor's running for re-election this year. Probably will win. I don't Great. know. Seems like there's a lot of... well. I don't see anybody rise to oppose him on the Republican side. Okay. And Republicans are outnumbering Democrats in registration almost two to one in the state. Mm -hmm. So for whatever it's worth, this is a very Republican state. Mm -hmm. Whoever wins that is probably going to win the thing, even though I'm a Democrat, Mm -hmm. proud Democrat, you know, Mm -hmm. but I can do math, you know? Yeah. 
it's an uphill climb, you know, <laughs> for a statewide race to go to the Democrat in yeah. 2022 in Oklahoma. <clears throat> Not saying it's impossible. It's just very difficult. Yeah. And the likelihood of getting reelected is really high. Mm-hmm. So these issues aren't going to go away. What I don't like is that he's trying to pit all of Oklahoma against the tribes. Yes. And I'm like, you were in and, Oklahoma. Go to a different state if you want to. <laughs> but if you look. At who's driving the economy in rural Oklahoma? I, it is the tribes. The tribes pay so much money to the government. I mean, to the state. Well, they do in gaming compacts and things of that nature. <clears throat> but the thing that they also do is that they put a lot of people to work. Mm-hmm. Indian Very and non-Indian. True. They put a lot of money in stores and local banks, mm-hmm. local municipalities. That's a good point. They spend a lot of money on infrastructure. They put money on building roads and mm-hmm. bridges. Helping the public schools. You can claim all you want sitting over there in Oklahoma City. But over here, you know, Little Dixie, mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, Choctaws are probably the number one employer in all their counties. In every county, there's a presence of the Choctaw Nation in every county in, in southeastern Oklahoma. Right. And they're probably one of the largest employers in every county. Wow. Now, and they're growing big yeah, time. I mean, they're not getting smaller. No. They're getting bigger. They're building out in Hochatown. Yeah. They're building, they just built a new add on to the casino. And I drove through it when I was in Dallas in November. Yeah. I went to a conference in Dallas and I was amazed at the construction project going on in Durant. Isn't it crazy? I was like, holy cow. It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's like a city. <laughs> I remember when it was a bingo hall. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. But, um, the thing is, is that, that the presence, here's the part that Stitt doesn't get. When the tribes are successful, everybody wins. Absolutely. But it doesn't work in reverse. Mm-hmm. Nobody wins if the tribes are not successful. And it, it's, it's honest to God truth. And mm-hmm. the numbers show. You give tribes room to exercise their sovereignty in their own lands, they become a rising tide that lifts every boat in the harbor. Probably done more to unite Indian country in Oklahoma than any single person. <laughs> Thank you, Governor Stitt. <laughs> so he gets, you got to give him that. <laughs> That's true, actually. But, but I also think this. Um, I think there's a significant number of people in the non-Indian community that see what he's done to public education. He made a statement yesterday that he's he's in favor of just taking any state employee that works in the public schools and put him in front of the kids. The mm. teacher and the teachers are like, what? You know, and it's because of COVID and because of the shutdown and the teachers union are rightfully concerned about what steps the schools are taking to keep their place safe for their for themselves as well as the kids, mm-hmm. the students. And, you know, for what it's worth, that's an important issue to have. You need to debate this. You need to discuss it. But to just. To say, okay, the janitor is going to be teaching geology, you know. (laughs) I was like, don't you have to go to school and get a degree in education to be able to teach in public schools? Or or know how to teach geography. Right. I mean, if you don't have that, you got to have some kind of equal alternative to that, you know. Right. But to take the guy who's mowing the lawn and put him in, I mean, these are the kind of. Or how about like maybe make it more exciting for someone to become a teacher in Oklahoma <laughs> instead of like making minimum wage as a yeah, teacher. because th- we're number one in lowest pay for students. And I mean, not- for teachers. And, oh, gosh. Really? And the lowest pay per pupil for public education. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, it isn't just the Indians <clears throat> he's met. He's he's creating a fight with. I mean, don't mess with the parents. I parents mean, <laughs> and the teachers and the and the school systems are struggling to make ends meet. Well, and on top of that, do you remember when Oklahoma opened up to have casinos anywhere? It did not have to be on water and mm-hmm. it does not have to be on Indian land. And yet, you know, that was supposed to go for education. Like yeah. they always say, this is for the kids. Mm-hmm. And then they just kept stripping the teachers of their pay. They kept yeah. they, some schools what gone to four day weeks. What was designed and what was proposed as a supplement to the education funding it became the base of the education funding because they kept cutting, cutting, cutting taxes and investments in, Indian, in education. And now they turn around and point to us and say, well, you guys aren't doing enough. That's why he was uh, wanting to renegotiate the gaming compacts. He wanted more of a cut. And I said, but you cut the taxes. You're, gosh, I don't know how many times it's been cut, you know, but it's. Yeah. But the effects of not having the money to make those investments and key institutions like our school systems is the result of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, the tribes are doing their part with the gaming compact, but it was never meant to be the sole source of their funding. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, just because they've been resourceful and have thought like a business, right. now they're being punished for it. Right. Uh, I have an idea in negotiation. How about this? You're on our land and we're going <laughs> to not give you anything anymore. How about you pay us to be on our land? See, this is where he <laughs> walked into it with that those... Um, Hunting and fishing license issues. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so feel free to tell. Well, (laughs) from what I read that there was making a... um, He didn't want to renegotiate it because he's still mad at McGirt. And so he's still mad at the gaming compacts. He's been dealt one loss after another loss after another loss. And he's Mm -hmm. just... He's taking it out on the hunting and fishing compacts that came up for renewal. And he just said no. But post-McGirt, the tribe says, are you sure you don't want to renegotiate? Because... Right. (laughs) We could just do this without you now. <laughs> exactly. You know. Okay, you know. Uh, he, and of course, that thing had generated millions to the state. Why would you turn? I and mean, he oh just, my gosh. He, you know, and, and <laughs> the five tribes are like, well, okay. <laughs> you wanna... Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's bizarre. I don't know how to. Put it in a way that makes um, that makes us not look like we're making fun of them because yeah, that's not the point. Right. The point is to get them to the table and let's work out these issues yeah. like grownups, like a good leader does. Yeah, and because you're only hurting yourself and your own state you're representing mm-hmm. when you engage in this these frivolous lawsuits that waste the state's money. Yeah, that doesn't advance the ball. And creates division where it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Because one thing that, if you look at tribes as employers, as corporate in citizens. Yeah. The one thing that we do that nobody else does is that we don't outsource our jobs to China. Mm-hmm. We don't move our plant to Mexico. We are here Whoa. and we're not going anywhere. I just had a brain explosion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that needs to be communicated to the state. I agree. We're not a liability. We're the best asset you have. And, and because we've done moved, all we're going to move. Yeah. We're not going oh, anywhere. No. This, oh, no. We're, we planted our flag here years ago, and we're not going anywhere. And on top of that, again, so you are the governor of 
the state other than Alaska that has more Native Americans than anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And you you chose to, to, to want to live here and become a governor here. And you want to like just completely dismiss that whole population of what makes Oklahoma really cool. All the people make it great, right? Yeah. But the Native population is... We play a special role in that. Exactly. Yeah, and right. there's history here. And it's beautiful. And mm-hmm. not the history. The people are beautiful. But Well, <laughs> it's an important story. Mm-hmm. And it's an important history that we should never forget. Yeah. But, you know, because if we don't, if we do forget it, we run the risk of repeating those mistakes. Yes. So we don't want to ever want to forget it. It's part of who we are. Mm-hmm. But who we are now is wiser, smarter, mm-hmm. and we live in a society that's more collaborative. Yeah. And that's going to draw investment. That's going to draw people's careers to move here. That's going to draw, you exactly. know. But we've got to create that environment yeah. where people would want to build their career here. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, Hollywood's coming here. Right. It's going to play a role in all that. Yeah. So that's kind of the, that's the exciting thing about this movie Mm -hmm. and the attention that's drawing Mm -hmm. and the amount of interest people may have in understanding us. It's a good time for us to reflect. Yes. On the tragedy and how we got through it. Well, and speaking of, I'm sure there had to have been here they are coming along, Hollywood's coming along saying, we want to make a movie out of this book. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there may have been some Osage who didn't even want to read the book, much less now see a movie. How do you think the tribe overall has felt about the idea of the book and the movie and all of this stuff happening without... I mean, I know that there was consultation with the Osage, which is awesome, which yeah. doesn't normally happen. So no. what's your perspective on everything? Well, I think at the beginning, nobody knew what Hollywood was going to do with the movie. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I actually had a chance to meet David Grant at one of his book signing tours. Mm-hmm. And he knew who I was because he interviewed me for that book. And he said, you know, when Hollywood bought the rights to the movie, they own it now. Mm. I mean, all I could control was what's in this book. Yeah. And that's all I, that's all I can tell you. What Hollywood does with it now, I have no idea. I don't have any control over that. Yeah. And so... He was being honest. This is how the industry works, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's a different format, a different media. It's going to require a different story that's right. going to include some of the things that's in the book, but a lot of it's probably going to end up on the floor because mm-hmm. it's just compressed for time. Yeah. You know, visual media. You can do things that you couldn't do with the book, too. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a mixed bag. Yeah. You don't know what they're going to do. But when they announced that Scorsese was going to direct it, you know, you can say, okay, that's that's top of the echelon, right? Right. But what's he known for at the top of the echelon? Probably the most Mo- violent movies that made it to mainstream. And not necessarily native movies. No, not native, but just violent, right? Yeah. And uh, so that caused a lot that's of true. people some concern about whether or not the, the violent aspects of this story is going to be what the story is about. Right. So we were, a lot of us like were concerned about whether or not this was going to be, you know, a bloodbath mm-hmm. with our family names attached, attached to it. Attached. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So. I didn't even think about that perspective. So a group of Osages got together and they asked an attorney to write a letter that they could approve and send it to Scorsese. Okay. And his people asking for a meeting. Yeah. Based on this, you know. Right. 
we don't want to go out there. We want to invite you here in our awesome. community. Awesome. You know, and to his credit, he got on a plane from New York and flew to Tulsa and him and his entourage showed up in Pahuska. It's amazing. And he didn't want any press. Yeah. You know, he just wanted to sit down and listen. Good. And Again, so, listening. Yeah. And so he questions. sat down. We fed him a traditional Osage meal. Love it. And there was about 200 Osages that were descendants of those people. Wow. That were in the movie, in the book. And we were able to get his attention for about an hour and a half. And each one of us got up and we took the mic and mm-hmm. we told him what we felt like he needed to know. And what were those things? Well, in one case, one lady got up and said, I, I hope that you give some time to do some research on the role of Osage women. Mm. Based on the book and based on what we've seen from other books, they're not given the kind of adequate weight as they are in, our, in real life. Okay. Osage women were more than just the mothers, more than just wives. They kept the language intact. They kept the customs mm. intact. They kept the rituals that kept our society connected yeah. intact. At a time when they were trying to break that up, yeah. it was the Osage women that held the glue wow. to our communities. Please don't forget that. Right. You know, another person got up. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> <laughs> it was this so, amazing guy. <laughs> it's just, it sounds like I'm... You know, it, it just no. Come on, we, we, we want to hear about this. this before. Yeah. You know, um, I, it's hard to talk about yourself. I know. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I just pointed out to him. You know, and I'm no film student. I'm no expert in this industry. But I'm, a, I. But you're Osage. But I'm Osage, <laughs> and I go to movies. You know, right? <laughs> and uh, I just said, there's one thing I've noticed about, you know, as a journalist at the time, I used to write reviews of mm-hmm. movies and things like that, and. I just said the the biggest three, the most popular three budgeted movies that were blockbusters by Hollywood standards mm-hmm. that had an Indian content in it was Little Big Man, Dances with Wolves, and Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, I was going to say. What do these three movies have in common? The white, a white savior. Yeah. <laughs> they have That's a true. white savior narrative that... Mm-hmm. Involved Daniel Day-Lewis, Kevin Costner, and Dustin Hoffman. Hmm. And I'm, you know, and the difference between the story that you've, you're taking on here and those other three, those were works of fiction mm-hmm. by a non-Indian writer. This is fiction. This is non-fiction because the descendants of those people that are in this book mm-hmm. and in the movie are in this room. I mean, how often would any and, director get that chance? And right? I looked at him and I said, you have an opportunity, sir, mm-hmm. to make a movie about indigenous people that Hollywood has never made before. Exactly. You, oh, my gosh, yes. Be the director that makes that movie. Yeah. That tells that story. Nobody in here wants you to fail, sir. Yeah. We want you to do a great thing. And we want to help you if you let us. And be the director to make that movie so your entire industry will point to it from now on and say, that's the one we got right. Mm -hmm. And the whole room just went, you know, and it was just, and he was just like. What, yeah, what, what was his reaction? His eyes got real big because I was about from here to the end of this table from him. Wow. 
and you know, it's hard not to notice that Martin Scorsese's listening to you, right? You know, and you're talking with a mic in your hand, and you're realizing, I'd be having an out of body experience. It would, it would be hard not to just gush with compliments. Yeah, because this man jumped on a plane and flew all the way over here just to hear you. And but that's not what this meeting was that, for. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. This meeting. This was, is your chance. This was say. our chance. Yeah. So up and up until that time, we've been nothing but great hosts. But we haven't really got to the meat of it yet. Right. And so once I sat down, other people got up and they started saying very similar things. Right. You know, and he walked away moved, I think, by it. I don't know because there was no press. I don't know what he thought right. of it. And did know. he give you any feedback? I guess he couldn't really like commit Not to anything without, you know. Now, I've heard through other people. Yeah. That including David Grant, that that meeting had an impact on him. And now, was this before COVID had hit? This happened in November of 19. Okay. And in 20 was when all mm. that started. So what's interesting is I'm wondering when they were going to roll the movie out at that point, because they were going into something production about the script. in March. They oh, were going okay. into production in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. But at that meeting in, in November, he announced that he was going to take some, he was going to push that date back. To spend some more time on the script. I would say that was a good piece of feedback, <laughs> yeah. if nothing else. <laughs> I mean, I I think the gesture of the Osage people was genuine and sincere. Mm-hmm. And I think he took it for that. And yeah. he realized that maybe I can make this a better film. Mm-hmm. You know? Again, do something different. Yeah. And it wasn't long after that, but... Actually, you're not going to hear many people saying this, but I'm going to say it. Thanks to the pandemic, mm-hmm. it shut <laughs> Hollywood down for yeah. like eight months. Right. And nothing was getting done. Because I remember when the movie was supposed to come, I was like, this will be amazing. Because yeah. I read the book a couple times. And, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, it just disappeared. I'm like, yeah. what happened the to The whole it? industry it just disappeared. Right. You know? <laughs> and But what it afforded him was time to rewrite that script. It's amazing. And he did. And like next thing you know, you're hearing news that Leonardo's not playing the white FBI agent anymore. He's playing the wife, the husband to Bali Burkhardt. Mm-hmm. So you get to a point where you're like, um, my God, this really, this is really happening. And then he starts announcing auditions and he starts, you know, Osages and other Native people like the folks that you interviewed mm-hmm. started showing up. And next thing you know, he and they were this, proud too. Yeah. That's what's so cool. Well, there was some debate whether or not he was going to shoot the whole thing in New Mexico. Oh God! You know, because the laws are different there; they're more affordable there. There's, mm-hmm. You can there's Indians there you can hire. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was. But he had Osages right, right here right. in the towns where all of this happened. But it's more expensive to shoot here, which is surprising because Hollywood's even much more expensive, right? right. Or like other states that they shoot from, a lot of times are more expensive. So right. Oklahoma's. Technically we're, cheaper, but not the cheapest. Exactly. You hit it. I mean, we're not Georgia. We're not New Mexico. Because right. those are the two states that seem to be getting uh, a lot of those. Yeah. Deals because of the favorable film laws that they have. Yeah, and like tax but benefits. Oklahoma did its part, though. Mm-hmm. They what, what they could do, they did. Yeah. And they made it nice, attractive package for them. And they Apple took over from Paramount. Hmm. Because Paramount was a little skittish after these script changes. Oh, really? So they... Apple they, took over. Yeah. I didn't know that. They okay. freed it up for uh, 
They didn't really say we weren't going to do it. They just said, if you want to shop it around, we're not going to stop you. Oh, interesting. So, so he went to Apple, and Apple was starting a streaming service. And so they said, this could be our flagship. Unbelievable. So they bankrolled the whole thing. Dang. And Paramount says, wait a minute. We're still getting theatrical <laughs> option on this, right? Yeah, we get so, the mountain put in front, right? Yeah, we're going to put this... Uh, we're not totally out of the deal. Do you know most of the people in this area? Because it's not like a small, I mean, it's not like a large, each of the cities are not that large. No. I mean, everyone knows everybody, or at least they know your family. That's yeah, always the family that's name. That's always a thing. Or... <laughs> yeah. like, who are your folks? You know? Right. I, I mean, went... Gray, are you related to the Gray of the Gray Horse area? No. I'm, my Gray came as a result of the indoctrination of the Indian boarding school for my great grandfather or my oh, okay. grandfather. Who's giving them Osage's name was and... Wakansia, and they said, "No, your name is Clarence Gray." <laughs> okay, so and, from Wakansia, which is way cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they always do that, right? Uh, well, it's like, you a know, cool name. In some cases, it, it it didn't translate well, so they just gave him an English name. Right. And other times, it did translate well, so Roan Horse yeah. survived. Yeah, you know, but we still call it Kiowa Hotsi, and that's his Osage word for roan horse you know oh, really yeah okay. so i'm i get to we get the benefit of both because i got osages from three different grandparents mm -hmm. you know so i have the benefit of those stories as well as the benefit of the others one of the things i heard in lisa ling's documentary was mm -hmm. an osage who lives in fairfax he's descendant of the people who were exploited and the people who exploited them their descendants live here too. Oh, that's such a good point. So yeah. you're living, you all are living side by side exactly. with some people that did some really horrible things to I your know. ancestors. But do you punish the son for the sins right. of the father? Right. But do you punish the children today who have grown up? They do you judge them by the prejudice that you apply to their ancestors? Hmm. It's a good you point. You know, we and We've they may not even know learn. that story. We, we don't know how that's going to play out. Right, because Rachel. all of a sudden people are going to hear, my ancestors did that to the Osage, and Os I'm in class, you know, my best friends are yeah. Osage. What? That's a big thing. Osages but, haven't made peace with that period of time. Okay. And I don't think Oklahoma's made peace with that history because it's not being taught in schools. Right. Good points. And the fact that people are walking around going shocked. I can't believe this happened. Oh. I was never taught and this. And it's, it's one of many, like my great grandmother, mm -hmm. same thing. You know, she yeah. had the same story with the exception of there was no murder. And it was uh, her mother gave her up to guardians and her, her grandmother gave her children up to the guardians too. So I don't know what the story was about the wise, but I have, I can guess. But anyway, so I, I mean, you talk to almost any native that truly knows their story. Someone in there yeah. had the guardianship thing I mean, going on. As a Native American man and a former chief and a father of Osage children and mm -hmm. living in our res my reservation that I grew up in, I've come to the conclusion now at the age of 60 <laughs> that mm -hmm. every tribe in the country has an Osage Reina Terra story in it. And if this is a blockbuster movie that makes a lot of money for the movie industry, they're going to want to know what other tribes out there can we talk to that could have a similar effect, you know? Sure. And whether or not you're ready for that, they may come knocking, mm -hmm. you know? And, mm -hmm. and if you don't write your own story, and if you don't control that narrative, 
somebody else is going to do it. We're living proof of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of got in on the aftermarket back end of it, but not every tribe's going to get that. But if right. there's a lesson to be learned from our experience is that tribal governments, Indian tribes in general, in exercising sovereignty, jurisdiction over land, water, resources, people, don't forget to include your history. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to include your story. Y'all be sure to stay tuned for part two. You're not going to want to miss it. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together we build success because together we're more. Thanks for listening to Native Chalk Talk. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends.